0: Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Today, I'm going to be talking with an author, Dr. Samantha Schinder. That's Schinder, not Schindler. Uh, Samantha Schinder has done a lot of things in a short amount of time. Besides being an author, she's got a PhD. She's a professional dog trainer. She's a disabled veteran. <coughs> Excuse me. She's a skydiver. She's one of the most interesting people you're going to meet and you're going to get to meet her now, which is really exciting. I really had a great time meeting her. Um, She's got books that you can read and uh, well, you'll see her story is one that's yet again not a straight line. Um, She was in the service. She speaks many languages. Uh, She speaks eloquently on many subjects, and I'm excited to have her. If you like this kind of entertainment and information and want to get it regularly, subscribe to this podcast. If you want other people to know about it, you can share it using various links on social media. And you can also rate this podcast wherever it gets rated. If you have questions for me or any of my guests or want any kind of information, go to IsThatReallyLegal.com, and there's a place where you can ask me questions or get information. I just want to say say before we start today that um, we don't have a lot of respect for women in this country, and it's pretty clear from a recent Supreme Court decision that came out while I'm uh, recording this, we got to do better. Um, We'll talk more about it, but here is Dr. Samantha Schinders. Samantha Schinder, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I am so thrilled to get to meet you. Hey, how
1: are you doing?
0: Good, thanks. We, we spoke very briefly, uh, and already I'm terribly excited because I've already learned a few things about you that I'm going to want to share. But I just want to say I know you only from Twitter and the fact that you are represented at a literary agency that um, I'm very familiar with because my ex-intern, ex-junior, uh, agent, basically created that agency, Shannon Orso. And we've both experienced the loss of Shannon. I'm not going to go into it too deeply. Yes. You're wearing a Victress t-shirt. No one's going to see this, by the way. I only do the audio, but it is a lovely t-shirt. Um, and uh, I've talked about Shannon before. If people are curious, you, I've actually interviewed Shannon. Her uh, podcast interview remains on my website. You can go look it up. It doesn't cost anything to Go to isthatreallylegal.com and you'll be able to see all the podcasts you can download or stream or whatever you want to with them. So that being said, Samantha, I uh, know you, like I said, from Twitter and I've read a little bit about you. You are currently in Ohio. Is that where you're from?
1: Um, I grew up here, but then um, after I was 18 and uh, left for college and joined the military, I have not really been back. And then right before COVID hit, I was like, wow, this writing thing's going really well. I'm going to be a full-time writer. So I sold my dog training business, which is what I have my doctorate in. And um, I moved back up here with the intent of buying another house. And I just kind of didn't. (laughs) I have a little travel trailer. (laughs) So technically, I'm a a homeless veteran with a a doctorate. (laughs)
0: Well, you're inside a very pretty room, so I wouldn't say you're holding. My homeless. parents. House. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And what's <laughs> funny to me is that you're a, do- a dog training expert and you are holding a black and white cat. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I <laughs> a beautiful had to train cat. my my dog to, to get along with my cats. And it's funny because he's really oddly respectful of the cats more so than he is other <laughs> dogs even.
0: I find that relationships between dogs and cats can be excellent. Um, But I also find that animals tend to exhibit behaviors based on how centered or all over the place their owners or cohabitants are. I don't know if that's accurate in your experience. Well,
1: that that definitely is. And a dog's behavior, well, I I speak to dog's behavior because
0: um, that's my
1: field of expertise, but like. Um, They do have inherent personalities, just like people do, though. So a dog is is born with their personality, and then you can, you know, kind of bring it along and nurture it and kind of, you know, um, sorry. You can develop. That's all right. I'll
0: help you. Um, You can develop innate strengths. And hopefully minimize the innate uh, weaknesses, or we'll call them weaknesses, or perhaps in what we consider negative traits, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah.
1: Um, so I used to train a lot of service dogs, and people were like, kind of under the impression that they had to be like brought up from puppies. And that's certainly true for um, certain specialties, like guide dogs, for instance. But um, people were really surprised like the kind of training that you could do with your pets. And you could turn them into working animals because um, if you train them correctly, like you can really like bring out the best in them. But well, yeah, it, it definitely goes both ways.
0: <laughs> well, then, that means there's hope for many people who have dogs that they think are out of control. I actually want to step back though a little bit. Um, I haven't had a lot of veterans on, and I'm always fascinated by people and their military experience what made you or led you to join the armed forces
1: um a couple of things but probably the first and foremost was 9-11 um i was in 10th grade when it happened uh and before then i was getting ready to be a concert violinist um and then when 9-11 happened i was like well i kind of want to serve my country it's a family tradition um also You know, in the Midwest, like I I was the valedictorian, but I mean, there's a valedictorian of every high school in the country. So if I wanted to go to a school that wasn't a local school, then I was going to have to get a scholarship. So, I mean, there was a lot of different things that kind of played into that. But I basically went into my scholarship interview and said, "I speak four languages. You guys pick a language for me to major in. I'll learn it if you pay for my school." And they picked Farsi. So I went to Indiana University, and that was that.
0: Wow. So, for people who won't know what you look like, you look like Middle America. You're a white woman, very, uh, how do I put that? You just look like you're from the Midwest. And you would be the last. Right. (laughs) But my point is Farsi, for those who don't know, is a language mostly spoken by Persian people or Iranians. And it does go some other places, I suppose, but Dari is very similar. Say that again.
1: Dari and Tajik are very similar.
0: And I'm no language expert. Um, I do speak some other languages and my wife is fluent in French, but I know that for national security purposes, which I have studied a bit, um, being able to speak Farsi is excellent because, of course, there's deep concerns involving national security and the Middle East, and specifically Iran, which people from Iran who don't want to go back or don't like it, call it Persia, but (laughs) won't get too lost in that cul-de-sac. I'll just say that's a fascinating uh, thing. So did you get an ROTC scholarship to the University of Indiana? Right. And so after your four years there, you went into basic training?
1: Um, so when you're an officer candidate, you actually go to basic training while you're in school, um, and I was also like a varsity army athlete and stuff. So I was pretty much up at four a.m. every morning.
0: So. What, what was your sport?
1: Um, Ranger Challenge.
0: Okay, I'm uh, not. I don't know what that means.
1: It's like kind of like Army Olympics, I suppose. Um, if if you were an academy person, you would call it Sandhurst. It's uh, a lot yeah. of running around with
0: heavy packs. (laughs) Do you have to scale walls and climb ropes and repel and do stuff like that? So what I would, you know, all of this stuff about CrossFit, which some people (laughs) might laugh at, and some people might say, oh, that's cool. The experience I've had with CrossFit is uh, it's sold to me as practical fitness. In other words, someone who's CrossFit, you may look at them and go, you know, they're not bulgy, but it's like, yeah, but they can lift things, they can throw things, they can pick themselves up. Um, uh, in a way it's like, um, I had a friend who in college, who grew up as a farmer's kid and he could throw bales of hay around. He was a stick, but he was one of the strongest people I knew. He had real core strength. You couldn't see. Mm -hmm. And he was just used to getting up at four, being told to lift things, carry things. And so it was practical strength. Is that, are you talking about that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I I know all about baling hay. That was, those were my jobs. I probably. I think I had my first job when I was about 11, because <laughs> um, around around here, it's farm country. So, yeah, lots of bailing hay, lots of mucking stalls, lots of
0: breaking horses. <laughs> wow. So you you go into the service. Um, did you complete, like, one, how did that all go? What, what branch were you in? I was in the Air Force. And what did you ultimately... Do there that you can tell me about? I'm not going to ask for any you know, national security secrets.
1: Um, I was an intelligence officer.
0: Um <laughs> and we won't yep. talk anything about what he did.
1: Yep. <laughs> but
0: but I, and that makes complete sense given the Farsi and uh, the Air Force. I'll just say this. My understanding is there's all of all of the services, you know, we think of the Navy and the Air Force as being really the intelligence gathering ones. Um, As far as I know, I knew people in the Navy who somehow made their way into the CIA. I know people in the Air Force who make it into lots of other alphabet soups. We'll leave those alone because everybody's monitoring everything and I do not need a knock on my door or my phone. But I'll just say this. At some point, you left uh, the Air Force. Why? If you can share that or when? Yeah.
1: Ooh, why? Um.
0: You don't have to tell me why. <laughs> you look like that was a bad question.
1: I uh, the the short answer is I I realized I wasn't cut out for it. It took me a while to kind of figure out. Um because after I left the Air Force I actually went to go work at Centcom. Um under General Mattis for a while. Um, so
0: you need to t- because most civilians don't speak in those terms. I know what Central Command is, but uh, but the, is the Central Command, right?
1: The big hub for the Middle East intelligence.
0: Right. Yeah. So for those of you who don't read foreign policy magazines or study this kind of stuff, yeah, and that's a big assignment. uh And there's a lot of civilians who work for intelligence. Uh, agencies correct. I mean people don't really
1: oh, yeah. know yeah we, we had quite a quite a few um, civilians with varying levels of expertise. Um, so a, a lot of a lot of people to get like really good intelligence training you have to have been a veteran though to have gone through the the military intelligence schools. like my my tech school lasted a year. Like it's almost like getting another degree. So
0: well, what I'm the reason I'm asking all these questions is I want to give my listeners a sense of like at some point you're you become a novelist. And um for people who think there's one way to go about becoming a professional writer, I just want to point out this was not, this is not what people usually consider the path. So I'm gonna for the since we have 45 minutes to an hour and people are gonna be like, where are we going with this? I, I'm gonna go straight to the first book that you ultimately decided to write. How far along was it before that happened? And what was that about?
1: Um, Gosh, so, well, eventually they say, uh, cause I love to read, I'm a voracious reader. I probably read a book every other day. Um, Except for right now I'm reading rereading Vanity Fair by Thackeray. So it's a it's a little bit slower, but um
0: I, I love that like you're rereading classics, by the way. I thought I was the only one who did that.
1: I, I get in the mood and I just I I want something, you know, a little bit more sure. Well in Thackeray's case, uh dense. <laughs> but um yeah, so they say that you're that eventually you just have to write the book you want to read, because you run out of the books that you want to read.
0: <laughs> Is that uh, what happened for you? And what was? Yeah, the book? I
1: think so. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'll give this a go. Um, by then, I was a professional dog trainer, and I, you know, had had a really good business and stuff. But um, yeah, the, so the what journey, was the first book? Um, it's called Deliverance. It's kind of like historical alternative reality fiction fantasy and
0: and and for people who don't know you all say that has been your jam for your first several published books correct
1: yeah they're all in the same series yeah Um, Um, I'm on sub right now with some other genres so
0: defiance fortitude these are great words by the way I'm a fan of fortitude and one of for people who don't know here's a little trivia there's two lions outside the new york city public library the famous one on fifth avenue and they were named i don't know which president was but i believe they were named when they were erected these statues of lions they're not actual lions um and they are named patience and fortitude uh and i love that that's if you're going into a library if you're going into any study i would argue you need patience and fortitude so I like I like that word. So when you wrote the first book, um what tell us about it.
1: <laughs> well, um, I don't know how, how plot twist you want to give away, but um
0: well, give me the uh, give me the elevator pitch.
1: Um so the whole series basically follows a family of women in a world where they have magic. Uh, I don't know if you would necessarily call them witches, but they have magic. Um as they go from a pseudo sort of, um, in my head, it was a Isle of Sky Isle of Man, but I guess it could be like a very small Ireland.
0: Sure. Um,
1: they kind of immigrate from there to an England all and over to the Westlands or what would be the colonial United States. Um, and it's, it's kind of a weird timeline and I don't know how much you want me to give away, but. Um, well,
0: I think that's a good, that's, I'm already, I get what it is. So we're talking about uh, supernatural elements in an alternative history with a significant amount of powerful women involved.
1: Yeah, and each of the each of the books is named after the women they're about. So the women's names and the family are very. So her name is Deliverance. And That's then, quite a name
0: to live up to. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and and you kind of see why at the by, by the end of the series too. So.
0: Um. I want to take a side trip for a moment because one of the things that fascinated me about you without even having met you is how, how much there is to you. I'm not asking your age, but you know, if you were in 10th grade when 9-11 happened, um, you know, I was already okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, I'm 60, to be fair and in 36 years you've accomplished a lot and you've also had a lot of experiences that you may not have really wanted um you know you have suffered a traumatic brain injury um fairly recently is that accurate when was that
1: yeah in april
0: and yeah. how did that happen
1: <laughs> you know it's funny for being like a skydiver and adventure and everything like all i did was i tripped over my dog <laughs> I was out camping and I fell over my dog. And that was like, I fractured my skull. I refractured my spine because I had spinal fractures from an incident last November from skydiving. And my tailbone, I broke the tailbone. I was just like, I was in the hospital for two weeks. And it was.
0: uh, I have to tell you, and I'm going to say this to my listeners you can't be careful in life, it doesn't work. I was just standing there. Yeah. I have been fortunate. I'm a little overweight. Um, I used to work out more than I do. But, like, I have friends who are super fit who suddenly are rushed to the hospital because their arteries are completely clogged and nobody knew why. And it's all genetic, you know. Uh, As I've told listeners before, and I've told you, my wife, who didn't hit her head, we don't know what happened. She, has a benign brain tumor which we found out in time thank god um and i just found out a dear friend of mine who's really fit has a pulmonary embolism is in the hospital and i have other friends who live into their literally into their 80s and are incredibly fit but like they don't go to the gym you know i it's you just don't know it's completely random and i'm i don't was that something that you wrestled with when you hit your head, fractured your skull. I mean, after beating yourself up, which I assume you did, and if you didn't, good on you, but if you're like me, you said a lot of things to yourself that nobody would say to you and you wouldn't allow others to say to you, but you might've called yourself a klutz or worse. I mean, where was I going with this? I'm sorry, I got off on super tangent, but um, what what have you gathered so far from this experience?
1: Uh, That I'm not invincible. (laughs) I mean, I, up until that point, I, I, you know, I, I regularly, I have 400 some skydives and I have, I've actually like done like base jumping courses and, you know, like uh, all kinds of stuff. So like being like a really like avid skydiver and stuff, I just didn't really, I don't have very good, I don't have any survival instincts, none. They don't exist. <laughs>
0: do you think that made you a good soldier or um, airman or whatever they call them?
1: I think so. I was pretty intense, but I also think that my concept of myself when I was a younger adult was not who I am today. Mm. I either evolved or began to understand myself more, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing now and not doing what I used to do.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's back up now. Um, Do they, do you know the extent of your injury? Because while we're speaking, I'm not a neurologist, nor am I about to conduct a neurological test, although having sat through dozens of them with my wife, I could do a neurological test. I don't know what it necessarily means, but I could take you through your paces. But, you know, what, what are the things that have happened to you as a result? Well,
1: I've had some head injuries before in the service. so when I had this injury, it probably compounded some things. Um,
0: right.
1: I definitely have memory trouble. Um, I used to you know I used to be able to like quote things straight out of books I can't do that anymore. Um, I lost my sense of smell. <laughs> I don't have a sense of smell, which is oddly useful, you know <laughs> actually oh, yeah, for mucking
0: out stables for sure
1: oh yeah you know like cleaning up after the dogs and stuff I'm like whatever doing my friends I'm like yeah no no issues no worries that's
0: that's pre-covid that has nothing to do with the covid kind of
1: thing. no I don't believe I've had covid um
0: Um, but you're still able to write and clearly you're a great communicator even now you're still able to write
1: obviously i am at first like my eyes couldn't focus on stuff and the people at victress like i love victress and the concept of victress like we have a community that's just really great and they all chipped in and got me dragon software so that i could dictate um while i was healing
0: that's and incredible. it just
1: it brought tears to my eyes it was just really really touching and um liz my agent um she taught me how to set the settings on my computer so that I would be able to kind of look at the screen when I needed to um, Mm -hmm. and everything and it was just yeah I mean a lot of agents like they could have just been like oh you have a brain injury bye
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I'd like to think not but I think you and I know that you're probably right
1: uh Sorry. yes, it's it's a pretty cutthroat industry from what I understand I'm not like super experienced I'm definitely a junior author but um yeah I could I could see some of the the people that I used to query being like Man. yep good luck <laughs>
0: um are you writing anything right now? well I want to back up a second you said you're doing something now are you full-time writing or are you doing some other things
1: um I am full-time writing I did get a little like because the publishing industry is so slow and I like I have like the you know the creative like chaos going on in my mind. So I have a little bit like a little Etsy business where I, I make like weavings and I make these like gnomes.
0: Which okay. is weird. <laughs> now I need to know all about this. So you said you call them leavings? weavings?
1: Weavings, yeah. So... Oh, weavings,
0: weavings, I'm sorry.
1: Weavings, yeah, like fiber arts. Yeah, I have some of those. Um my latest one was from the Cliffs of Moher because that's where my boyfriend lives is over in Ireland. So um.
0: so you're in a long distance relationship. Yep. How often do you get to go to Ireland?
1: Um, I would go once a month, but it's been kind of weird. His work is kind of seasonal. So um, we're waiting until he's, he's like working until Christmas Eve. And then uh, I'll probably see him
0: again after that. Gotcha. I know that it's been a little hard getting in and out of Europe for Americans as a result of COVID, but it recently has become much easier. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Arrested. No, it's it's not. Ireland's pretty easy, actually. You just have to remember to like either bring a COVID test with you or be able to schedule one to get back to the states. Got
0: Gotcha. Yeah. But obviously,
1: I'm, if you're vaccinated. Yeah. Um,
0: Right, you have to be vaccinated or they don't want to even see you, right?
1: I, You have to have like tests and a certain number of, I I don't know, I, I, I was vaccinated, I didn't really pay attention to the unvaccinated part.
0: Yeah, you know, I have to tell you that um, as soon as we could, my wife and I got vaccinated, and I'm not going to turn this into a whole political discussion. I will say this, I do not understand people who don't want to get vaccinated. Folks, this is, not, this is not experimental. This is a thing that works. The data is in. Uh, if one person had an enlarged heart, literally millions of people have been protected against terrible disease. I just don't, there's no amateur science that needs to be involved. Get the vaccine. I say it after every show, by the way. I urge people to get vaccinated. I don't know if anybody cares, but I feel like I'm doing something. Um, and as soon as I can, I'm going to get the booster and, you know, my wife and I love to travel. We'll be going to London for Christmas. I have to figure out what tests I have to take, what I have to bring with me, all that jazz.
1: I love I London. So I don't love to... it as much as I love Edinburgh, but I do like London.
0: Well, I would assume with Edinburgh, you also have boyfriend memories, but I don't know if that's accurate.
1: Uh, no, that's in Scotland. He's he's oh. Irish. Yeah. I do have a best friend that's close to Edinburgh and Fife. uh,
0: Sorry. (laughs) That was harsh. No, it wasn't harsh at all. It's just a good reminder that Americans, including educated ones like myself, screw up the islands and various places that uh, the UK has colonized and pissed off. I've talked at length with several British people. We've gone into uh, the whole four countries in one country thing. So we'll just leave that for a moment. Um, yeah. So what do you love about London?
1: Oh gosh, the history of it. It's just you can you can walk around and just think of all the lives that have come before you that have stood in those exact places. And
0: it's exactly how I think we go to Westminster Abbey and you stand on top of famous dead people. Basically. <laughs> I'm I love right?
1: standing on dead
0: people. But they're famous dead people. And they're not famous because they have a YouTube video. They're famous because they have a body of work that literally transformed the quality of people's lives if they wanted it to. I'm talking about, you know, and I don't remember who, I can't remember now who I stood over, but you know you've got a little bit of history there in the UK from Chaucer to Dickens to Darwin so you know like there's a few guys and gals one of my favorite I actually things actually just
1: it. made a, a a gnome that was a uh, female literary greats and she has a tiny copy of Frankenstein in her hand
0: nice and of course you're talking about Shelley's Frankenstein Mm -hmm. By the way, one of the people, and this is for the listeners, um, one of the people I recently interviewed, Lawrence Goldburn, who is a friend of mine and uh, a Black British gentleman who wrote for television, he started his career as a writer because he watched Frankenstein as a kid and saw at the end credits, or at the beginning credits, based on a book by Shelley, I forget her first name, sorry. Uh, Thank you. Oh, yeah. Very uncommon. Mary Shelley. And he's like, Oh, somebody wrote like until that moment, he didn't realize there were people who wrote stories that then could be on the screen. And it completely changed his life. These BAFTA nominee. And um, so, and, you know, it's amazing what can have an impact on people. And you know, as much as some people might think, well, that's cute. She does these gnomes and they're available on Etsy. Like, never underestimate the power of like a little kid walking through a garden, seeing that gnome, seeing something about it that attracts them. And then 20 years later, they're winning some literary prize. And it's all because you created this gnome that ended up in their grandma's garden or something. You know, like that's just the way life works. Stunghead.
1: I think so, and actually, just watching adults too, when they interact with them, it's like a layer has been lifted from them, and they're just allowed to engage in some whimsy and i, I you know, I think that's kind of important. Everybody's really serious, especially nowadays, like everybody's amped up, stressed out, and you know it
0: I love that word whimsy, and I love that it's being used by a woman who you know, knows four languages, one of them Farsi, spent a lot, you know, reacted to 9-11 by deciding to serve our country, fell, I mean, a whole lot of your life is not about whimsy, let's be honest. <laughs> so I love that you know the importance of whimsy, and I'm going to guess also you're a fan of a laugh. If you're dating an Irish guy, he's got to be <laughs> funny. I'm sorry. He is, gonna-
1: and uh, that's that's his main attraction, actually, I think. <laughs>
0: I'm sure he's ruggedly handsome, but for me, in my various relationships, I always got another person, which is say that, because I was funny. I, I, don't, I don't rely on anything else. I don't know that I have anything else. But funny and guys and girls, whatever, whoever's listening, being funny is a good thing if you want to attract uh, a relationship. Can you talk about that I think that for at all?
1: intelligent people too, yeah, especially.
0: Um and there's a lot of funnies. I mean, there's spark jokes, there's you know, Oscar Wilde, um, there's everything in between. You're now I saw the Oscar Wilde got a rise out of you. Irish? Right? Yeah, I actually Thank bought
1: you. some Oscar Wilde when I was in Dublin.
0: <laughs> didn't he didn't always have a great relationship with the authorities? <laughs> You no, can, uh, he, he struggled know. a bit. Uh, but you know, lots of people in the LGBTQ community struggled, and
1: uh, especially back then, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, but I don't want to go too far away from you. So I want to back up a little bit. You've got several books that have been published. Did you self publish those, or were those with any particular company?
1: Yeah, those were self published. And I think it was by virtue then that I was able to attract uh, Liz as an agent. Um, uh, I know there's there's a stigma in the publishing industry against people who have self-published, but I don't really understand that because I can show, look, I can take a series, I can write an entire series, and I can take it from conception all the way to being printed and marketed.
0: I want to talk about this because as a former literary agent and as an attorney who represents authors and other creative writers i want to say that it's complicated and it's important if there's a re, if there's a listener who's specifically interested interested in this topic it used to be that people just looked at numbers they didn't bother going deeper than that so their thought was when well, you're self published but you sold x copies of your book you didn't do well, with those, how am I going to lift you to big numbers, but that is a very short sighted way of looking at it, in my opinion, now you're smiling and I can't tell if you're smiling because you're like withholding anger or you're, this sounds familiar like people have said this to you.
1: Um. Well, I would just say if I had my book on the front stand of every bookstore in America and England and all over the world, I think I would probably sell more copies.
0: Absolutely right. And And that is certainly an advantage to traditional publishing is that you as an individual do not have that opportunity. But what you've pointed out is, and for people who don't know this, those books don't end up on tables or on end caps or other various places by accident, publishers pay bookstores to put their books in specific places. I'm not gonna get all into that, but if you don't know anything about publishing, you're making a lot of assumptions based probably on ignorance. Not you, I'm talking to listeners who don't know. But you know, and so what happens with self-publishing is it's a little like you're trying to reach someone with your drop of water while they're trying to drink from a fire hose, because there's so much self-publishing out there,
1: they have to Uh find
0: you. And to find you is like finding, in terms of music, if you are, I'm just gonna use a big name of a band that I don't even know, but like, you know, Vampire Weekend. You know, Vampire Weekend is going to be featured on every place where uh, your music is available. Am I right, kids? Or am I already showing how old I am? I didn't use YouTube because that shows how old I am. But, um, but if you're a garage band in Cleveland, that's awesome. But they're not going to find you unless you get signed or you somehow get yourself a publicist and get pushed to the front of the line. So yeah, that is definitely a disadvantage. How And one of the hardest things about self-publishing is, first of all, your first job as a writer is to write. you got to write a great book. That's hard to do. Then people expect you to also be a marketing and PR genius and so much more. Some people can do that. I, 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 I mean, has this been your experience in the self-publishing world?
1: Yeah. And I am not a salesperson at all whatsoever. Um, yeah. I, I spent a short stint as a, as a model of like a runway and print model. And um that only worked because I didn't actually, I just had to stand or sit or walk around. Um, I didn't right. actually have to sell anything, <laughs> but if I, uh, if it were up to me to sell stuff, it would just not, it would not work. The only reason my dog training business was like really successful is because I was really good at training dogs and I pretty much just went by referrals.
0: <laughs> was that, I did
1: not market it.
0: <laughs> you know, that's very interesting. Um, A lot of professionals, like lawyers like myself, use a variety of ways of marketing, and sometimes they just do it by word of mouth, referrals. Um, Did you, let's back up a second to the dog training. You were involved in dog training in the service, or was that something you did completely on your own?
1: No, um, I had a sort of, I've had several backup and punt moments in my life, and one of them was um, when I realized I couldn't work in intelligence anymore. Um, part of it was from my disability, um, so yeah, I had to figure out what to do. So I was a model for a while and I decided that I didn't like it. <laughs>
0: um, well, oh, I want to stop there for a second. So when you say you were a model, I've been a model. I know you wouldn't think that to look at me, but I was what was called a character model. So I did ads for Microsoft and other big companies where I was like the goofy guy staring. <laughs> they often hired actors because sometimes models just literally couldn't do more than pose and they needed some type of emotional response that was picked up on camera so i was goofy in a good way that could be picked up by the camera so anyway that's one type of modeling another could be fashion modeling it could be runway it could be print stuff editorial so what did you do
1: um, I did some runway, uh, a little bit of editorial, and some print, but I wasn't very like successful or big or anything. I was just just in it to make money, honestly, and uh, I didn't do it for very long because I was just uh, wasn't for me. <laughs> so did you have any fun doing it? Uh, I liked the people I met. <laughs> uh, what that's a plus. But yeah, modeling is a lot of hours having people like yank on your hair and put, you know, slack, like lacquer your face and uh, stick you in really uncomfortable shoes and you have to walk in them. Um, I watched a girl faceplant on oh. national television, no, international television. Yep. Right in front of me on a runway. And it was, I was just like, oh, that's the
0: worst. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. And I, I did date a model who felt like she called herself a clothes hanger. Because they didn't, nobody interacted with her. She was just a thing that wore the clothes. Was yeah, was that kind of more your experience?
1: Um, it depends. It depended on the job, but um, yeah, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I wasn't like a like super successful editor or anything because I I probably only did it for a little while and then um I had a lady's uh come she contacted me. She's like, oh, I heard that um. Uh, used to train horses uh, because that's what I did in high school for extra money. That was my Mm. like my job and she's like well what what do you think about training dogs? I'm like yeah I can train dogs and um, I was getting my doctorate in homeland security at the time and I hadn't gotten to my dissertation phase and I like I couldn't work in intel anymore and I was like well I have this doctorate in Homeland Security that I'm half finished with like what like now what am I supposed to do and I started training dogs for this lady and I was like oh I really like that and then I realized you know what dogs do a lot for Homeland Security and I'm gonna focus all my studies and write my dissertation on working canines
0: I have to tell you that if you were a character in a book you would not be that believable Right? I mean, don't you see that for yourself? It's been in <laughs> Well, incredible I don't write journey. myself,
1: so that's good.
0: <laughs> right, but like someone would be like, "Oh, come on. Like, here's this woman who's jumped out of, you know, perfectly fine airplanes hundreds of times, you know, what?"
1: Oh, no. No, I was in the Air Force. I know by virtue of having a pilot, no airplane is perfectly good. Oh,
0: okay, well, let me let me back up. It's not on fire and you're purposely jumping out. That's my point. I'm not jumping out of an airplane I I can't imagine the circumstances. There would have to be a variety of things, including large amounts of money and certain, you know, substances we won't discuss. But, which is also, by the way, you should never do, and I understand that. But my point is that, um, you know, how you got injured, where you come from, a variety of decisions, all, by the way, in each individual snapshot, they totally are believable and make sense. But when we put them together, Your life is a little bit like a Matisse suddenly meets a Dolly painting, you know, to use the art thing because I know you're a big Matisse fan. And um, it's just, I mean, but I'm not mocking you, far from it, I'm celebrating you. I I think this is something that listeners need to get. Like I could talk about my life, but that's one episode. And I am where I am now, it feels like a series of excellent accidents. You know, like, of course, I did go to law school. But, you know, and I've been married three times now. But each time I did anything, I thought it was the right decision in that moment. And it led me to another thing. And in certain moments, things happened beyond my control. And I didn't realize that they set me up for something great in the future. I had to have patience. You and I have discussed how, you know, you're not living in a home that you've bought, but you're dating an obviously funny and very nice man from Ireland. Who knows, you might become an Irish citizen in this lifetime, I don't know. But you have a lot of, you know, you're far from dumb. That much is clear.
1: Thank you. <laughs> well,
0: well, I mean, I'm not in charge of that, but it seems to me uh, that you're far from dumb. And I'm going to pull the old wise guy who's almost twice your age thing. I've seen a lot. You know, you got a lot ahead of you. Are you, you seem optimistic and cheerful. Would that be an accurate description?
1: I think so. Um, I think, I don't know. I've definitely learned that life is too short to spend your days miserable. That's for sure.
0: Now, I like, I like that. Um, When my wife had uh, her third operation for brain tumor. And for people who've been listening, you know all about that story and she's today, she's fine. Uh, you know, every day who knows what's going to happen with any of us. Um, we had a decision to make about that operation and she told me carpe diem, which I don't know if Latin is one of your languages. It's not great for national security unless you live at the time before Christ. But, um, we have, uh, matching tattoos that say carpe diem with a sinus rhythm thingamajig in between um i feel like that makes all the difference for those of us who have stared some pretty scary stuff in the face to realize it all it does from my point of view and please correct me if i'm wrong it just gets you in touch with a reality that people ignore or are asleep to which is nothing's promised There are no guarantees. We do live one day, one moment at a time. It's just revealed to us at times. And if we ignore it, we do so at our peril. This is, by the way, Eric Rubin on, is that really legal with Eric Rubin? um, Obviously pontificating and lecturing to my listeners as well as my guests, and I apologize for that. I promise I will let you speak. Samantha Shinger, do you have any thoughts on what I'm talking about?
1: Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I maybe it's my my brain injury is like going, oh, test pattern. Uh,
0: <laughs> you may not be the I, only I'm one. Sure i, I will think that. of
1: something later and be like, oh, this is brilliant, and I will uh, I'll uh, tweet it to you, I suppose.
0: <laughs> that would be awesome. I would love but, to get that. Uh,
1: yeah no i've just i've just learned that you know spending your life miserable and complaining and you know like sometimes like stuff sucks but if you laugh your way through it and you find the silver lining it's just a better way to exist
0: i like that i should tell people um you're active on twitter your handle is author schinder which is s-c-h-i-n-d-e-r the picture that you have um it's so funny to me because it looks like, yeah, this was during your modeling phase. You have short, dark hair. You yeah. look like um, you're very serious, dark, and don't talk to me. And I feel like nothing could be further from the truth of my experience with you. You have long blonde hair right now, certainly longer than this. And you you look far <laughs> more like the Midwest country farmer type person that you are. Um, but you're very, you know, you're far more delightful than this picture. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just want to say that, if that's okay to say. Yeah, Um, that's fine. (laughs) um, We're going to be running out of time. What should people be looking for from you soon? Do you have stuff that you is currently being worked on? It's currently being pitched somewhere that you can tell us about? I
1: uh, write a lot. I'm a little intense, Liz will tell you. Um, So I think I'm on submission with four books, soon to be six books. (laughs) so um let's see one of them is called sky woman and it's about my grandfather's culture he was he was a mohawk and so he he died when i was young but he was very inspiring and he told me the sky Woman story when i was when i was little and i kind of took it and did like a magical realism like sort of take on it um Mm -hmm. so there's that um I don't know if I'm going to do a pen name with that because there's there's a whole lot of kind of sensitive issues with like
0: people that you're white and YN, dry, not innovative. like
1: cultural appropriation like even though yeah. like even though I don't identify myself as Mohawk my grandfather obviously was even though, you know. <laughs> um
0: Just so people know you're referring to your long blonde hair.
1: Uh yes. No um, worries. Yeah, no, I'm. I I identify personally because of what I look like as white. But
0: um, well, you know, I I get that I am
1: a mixed American. I I
0: identify as white, but there's plenty of white people who, because I'm Jewish, would say I'm not white. I don't. Yeah, I know that's a whole conversation. I think people should identify
1: as what they think they are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that I'm. I don't think somebody should tell
1: you what you are.
0: Well, that's an interesting perspective. Uh, I'm not sure everybody shares that. That's a whole other, I think we would No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that, uh, you know what, here's the deal. That is like a conversation about the trans community who I support, but um, there's this strange, I'm gonna give a quick example. I represented a trans person who was born a male, and now appears to be a woman, but is also a fairly well known adult movie star, who, uh, because they're trans, that's their hook. I don't know if they call it that. If they walked into a men's room, because they have male genitalia and have the appropriate chromosomes to be a man, it would be far more disruptive than if they go to the bathroom that they should go to is because they're a woman. I think of this person as a woman. They're absolutely a woman. But if you, you know, the legislators in far more conservative places who are lashing out at trans kids, trans people, and, and you know, this is a whole other conversation. You are not a trans rights activist, and I do not think you're ready for the conversation, nor am I. But not, I like I'm what not. you're saying
1: against their, their, their play. I have friends that are trans and, you know, right. they're very near and dear to my heart, but,
0: um, well, I, I, yeah, I had the sense of, I think the big thing, really thing like is don't
1: I'm... be a dick. Like if you like, don't pay attention to it. Like, why are you paying attention to where people go in the restroom? Like, why aren't you paying attention to your own, like need to pee? Like, right. uh, uh, and yes. like, don't, don't, you know, like wherever you go, like, don't bother people.
0: Like, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's not more. that hard this is actually very easy to negotiate. Like life is actually very easy to negotiate. If everybody leaves each other alone, you know, like in a certain way, I'm not talking about a libertarian thing where you don't take care of each other. I'm talking about like exactly what you're saying. Like, why do you care where that person goes to the bathroom? Like, just let it go. And in the city where I live in in Brooklyn and in Manhattan, there's a lot more public restrooms, which are just unisex, which you go in, and then everybody has a stall, and just that's I mean, how we resolve. Stalls are it.
1: like that. Like I don't know. Like there's just bathrooms.
0: Is I mean, there? There's... I I don't know where this. It's like the f- flag burning issue for me, and I uh, that I know that's a whole. But like there's not a lot of flag burning going on. There really isn't. There's not a lot of trans people freaking people out by going into bathrooms that they don't want them to go into. Like, this is such a manufactured issue by people. Well,
1: and even if, like, like some people are like, well, what if they molest them? I'm like, well, if anybody molests anybody else, then obviously due process. Right. It's the same for everybody.
0: Yeah. And and why are we If you're a straight
1: person and you're molesting people, you should, you know, be arrested. And why (laughs) are we
0: jumping to the conclusion that a trans person would do that? like that's just like crazy all right well I know. I know that this is exactly why you wanted to be on this show and yeah, people are like what i thought i was gonna listen to well this i really nice issues
1: i mean it does play a part in in publishing like nowadays and sure. um, yeah so that's that's sky woman anyway it's magical realism um i love that it's got dogs in it so that's like I would suppose, yeah, magical realism, women's fiction a little bit. Um I love have a YA fantasy that's gonna be out. It's about a isolated coven of Irish witches, Irish witches in Wales. Um, and one of the main characters is she's autistic. One of the protagonists is autistic. Um, and she's also a badass. And I think that's important for especially, you know, it's A little girl's read, you know, obviously. I think it's important for for kids to realize, like, even though, like, they might have something that's considered a disability, although, you know, like, it's just a different way of being. um,
0: You know, it's funny. My wife is a special educator, which she was when she was working, and she really helped me understand that everybody has a way of learning and being, and just because it's not the same as everybody else, does not necessarily mean it's a problem.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And really... that, that's like Ta- Tabitha Shahrani is like she's yeah, she's definitely a badass in the in the book for sure.
0: Um, I, I, is there anything that made you feel like you wanted to write an autistic character? And was there anything that you had to do to make sure that you were being again sensitive or well educated in the process?
1: Um well I've definitely I definitely had beta readers um go through it and and one of my beta readers, his um, his children, uh, one of his children is autistic, so yeah. he definitely, like, he was really excited about it. Um, I didn't actually end up making any faux pas, but if there were faux pas in there, he would have caught them for me, which is, you know, that's important, you know, so you have to, when you're a writer, you have to be free to write, and then if you say stuff that's inappropriate, then your editors and your friends have to catch you and be like, hey, did you realize you said this, or hey. This is how this comes off um because if we're if we just look at a rough draft of everything that everybody reads and then our writes and then we we judge them off of the rough draft I, you're not you're gonna have people that are caged when they should be freely writing um, that sounds right to me yeah and then then you you go through like i accidentally made a kid c- like because you know brain numbers um I accidentally made a character in one of my books uh like I switched the numbers around on her age or like made her too young and then my friend was like what is going on why is this person like doing all these things and she's like this age and I was like oh (laughs) I was like thank you and that's the point of editing and beta readers and you know friends
0: (laughs) that's awesome we are running out of time uh, Samantha Schindler, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about?
1: Um, editors, please read my submissions.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I that's not a... <laughs> yeah, I understand. I think that you speak for all authors out on yeah. submission. Um, that's a, yeah,
1: that's pretty much.
0: Well, I hope you had fun. When we started, I had asked you... Uh, or I told you that i hoped you would have fun in this interview. Did I come through with was that fun? Was yeah,
1: I'm actually I'm an, actually an introvert by nature. Very, very Hermity. Yeah, so um,
0: Well, I'm glad you opened up for me. I, I really enjoyed meeting you. I'm sure my listeners will have too. So uh, Dr. Samantha Schindler, thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Air Improvement? It's just been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed meeting Dr. Schinder as much as I did. What an unusual, fantastic, brilliant, lovely person. You meet these kind of people when you listen to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Again, please feel free to go to isthatreallylegal.com. Leave me a message. You can go through all of the previous episodes. There's no charge. You can download them all and uh, they're all available to you. Some really cool people that I'm very excited I got a chance to meet and chat with. Um, Also, just a moment here to say that I think uh, this podcast is going to have to get a little more political because there are some things that are very disturbing that uh, still keep happening. And we need to do something about that. So please feel free to contact me and give me your thoughts on the kind of people I should be interviewing, the kind of subjects I should be covering. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, please get vaccinated wear a mask take care of your friends and yourself we're in this together despite what some people might have you believe we actually are in this together take care and we'll talk soon bye-bye